So this is the subject we're looking at, marriage and divorce. And because it's such a sensitive subject and such an important subject, we're trying to do it carefully and a step at a time. Uh, this, e this, this evening we, we won't uh, resolve all the issues and look, cover all the ground because there's actually quite a lot of ground in this. But I'll, I'll bring you what, what I've got uh, as we look at divorce in the law and the prophets. So let's pray. Lord, help us as we look into your word. Uh, may our meditation be sweet. May we find that there is something of the honey and the honeycomb in your word and something which will point us to Jesus Christ as well as to help us pick our way through all the confusions of and complications of life in this world. Amen. Amen. Well, to recap very briefly, we looked last time at marriage, and I personally thought there were a number of surprises there in looking at that quite carefully. The most commonly referenced idea about marriage was that of taking, and the, the usual verb was to take a wife, and it falls into the idea of uh, the family home where the daughter in those days would have been. She wouldn't have been economically, financially independent. She would have lived with her father, with her family, and the father would give his daughter, and the, uh, the man, the husband, would take the wife. So almost literally, he takes her and brings her from her father's tent to his tent, and that is the, 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 the change from being uh, the father's daughter to being the man's wife. And it's reflected rather charmingly in, in the Hebrew word. So the um, ish is the word for man, and isha, very close, is the word for woman. Well, she was taken out of man. And there isn't a word for husband. And there isn't a word for husband. There isn't a word for wife. What there is is you say that this person is this woman's ish. She's this woman's this man is this man, this woman's man, and that means her husband. Or conversely, this woman is this man's isha, his wife. So the the it isn't that there's a separate word for husband and wife. It's that you have the the possessive, not just a man but her man, and not just a woman but his woman. And that's, uh, that, that's the way it's, it's set out in the Old Testament. Interestingly, in the wedding service yesterday, the bit that I did actually write in, it wasn't in the, in the service, who gives this woman? And it was sort of a, 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 an assumed Skype answer uh, that uh, Darlene's father gives this woman and who... And then interestingly, uh, the... the uh, the vows, I take you to be my lawful wedded wife. And then actually in the, in the English ceremony, it goes the other way around. I take you to be my lawful wedded husband. So we have, a, we have sort of remnants of the, the Hebrew uh, idea. And I also said, and I think this is important, that as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we don't keep everything the same. So in the Old Testament, for example, multiple wives uh, happened in quite a number of the stories. 
And we, we shouldn't say, oh, well, it's in the Bible, therefore we'll do that, because we're not in that bit of the Bible now. We're in the New Testament, and things have been, uh, the Lord Jesus fulfills the things of the Old Testament. He fills them where they were headed to. He takes them there. What they were getting at, perhaps imperfectly, he, he arrives at. So a uh, number of things from last time, and no doubt you'd be able to listen to that on the internet if you wanted to catch up with it. So today we're going to look at divorce. And uh, again, there, there isn't a particular vocabulary like we have divorce, it just means the breaking of a marriage. We have in, uh, in Hebrew a number of words. So the first one to draw attention to is word number 01644. So you could look it up in a Strong's Concordance, Garash. And it, you don't need to worry about that bit. It's, uh, it's used 47 times altogether. It means at 20 times in the authorized version, it's translated to drive out, uh, to divorce or be divorced twice, or of a divorced woman once. So the normal meaning of it is to drive out, to expel, to cast out, drive away. And uh, let's look at some examples. So let's look at a, a, an example which is perhaps not entirely clear, Genesis 21.10. It's the first use of this, and therefore worth looking at. Genesis 21, verse 10. And I think, Steve, we should actually have got a roving mic. Do you think you could fish one out? And we'll, we'll get somebody to be a reader. But while you're doing that, I'll, I'll read Genesis 21. This is to do with Hagar, and uh, Hagar's son Ishmael uh, is a rival to Sarah's son Isaac. So the child, let's just see, which child is this? The child grew up and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking and she said to Abraham, get rid of or drive out Garash, the slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Now the question is, do we take that to mean, thank you, do we take that to mean um, the technical divorce or is it simply drive away or is it to drive away with the effect of it being a divorce and I'm not sure that I can give you a clear answer to that but it is a driving out of the home isn't it in Give this to Ben. Ben, thank you. Could you read us Genesis 16, verse 3, uh, three and 4? Okay. So after a Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. 
Thank you. So it does look as though Hagar does have the status of a wife. Uh, this is not uh, adultery. That would be severely looked on. She's a second wife. And so I think we could suggest that what's happening in 2110 is the first example of uh, a divorce. And it's interesting that it, it's, well, it looks as though it's approved of by God. Am I right? She says to Abraham, and in verse 12, God says to, uh, she says to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman. Abraham's distressed. God says to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Um, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. So I, I think I put that down uh, with a question mark. It, is that, would that count as a divorce? So question mark for that. Let's look at Leviticus 21.7 and verse 14 and these are regulations and restrictions 21 7 uh, and thirteen and 13, 14, 15. So 21, uh, 21.7 is about priests and 21.13 and 14 is about the high priest, if I'm reading that correctly. So please, Ben, could you read us verse, verse 7 and then verse 13 to 15? They must not marry women defiled by prostitution or divorce from their husbands because priests are holy to their God. The woman he marries must be a virgin. He must not marry a widow, a divorced woman, or a woman defiled by prostitution, but only a virgin from his own people, so that he will not defile his offspring among his people. I am the Lord who makes him holy. Thank you very much. So this is interesting. There are restrictions on whom the high priest can marry. Uh, sorry, the priests can marry. So that uh, excludes uh, somebody who's been a prostitute or divorced. And then the high priest, a widow, divorced or a prostitute. So she must not be a widow, nor Garesh, divorced, nor Zana, a prostitute. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? So what's going on here? It's to do with holiness... And the way this legislation seems to operate is to say that, that there must be not the slightest hint of abnormality or irregularity uh, in the, the wife that the priest or the high priest has. So the implication is that uh, each of those three states is in some sense uh, abnormal. So being a widow is an abnormal thing because death is abnormal. And uh, being divorced is an abnormal thing because the normal thing would be one man, one wife, full stop. And then being a prostitute is an abnormal thing because that's having 
intimate relations with multiple men. So the priest under the Old Testament uh, it sort of indicates that each of these three, three states is something abnormal. I'm not saying that being abnormal is necessarily a sin, but it's part of the humiliation of the human condition. So uh, I think like having a bad memory uh, and forgetting things is not sin, but it's, um, it, it, you know, we weren't meant to have bad memories. It's part of the, what's happened to the fall. And I think these three situations partake of something like that. Let's look at Leviticus 22.13, which is another um, piece of legislation about divorce. Leviticus 22.13 Leviticus 22:13. Uh, this is really to do with the priest's food because that has its own ceremonial constraints. And could you read us Leviticus 22:13, please? But if a priest's daughter becomes a widow or is divorced, yet has no children, and she returns to live in her father's house as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food. No unauthorized person, however, may eat of it. Any of it, sorry. Thank you. So, uh, so in those examples, we have uh, the return of the divorced woman to her father's house is a possibility. So you get the same thing about leaving the father's house, going to the husband, and then, of course, if if uh, what is it say if, she, if he dies or if he, she is sent away, she can return back to her father's house. Well, that's one word. Uh, we have another word, which is uh, to send away. Doesn't seem to have a hugely different meaning. Shalach. That's used 847 times, of which 566 is send. And I don't think the authorized version uses. <coughs> hmm. It doesn't say it's divorce for any of those, but it does have the meaning of that. Let's have a look at Deuteronomy 22. That doesn't seem to be right, does it? I've got the wrong one, 22.19. Yeah, I'm looking at the wrong verse myself. Right, let me read this one. So this is uh, to do with um, accusing a, a, a wife of uh, turning out to have had sexual relations before she was married to this uh, to this new husband. So if a man takes a wife and after lying with her dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name saying, I married this woman but when I approached her I did not find proof of her virginity. Then the girl's father and mother shall bring proof that she was a virgin to the town elders at the gate. The girl's father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man but he dislikes her. Now he has slandered her and said, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin but here is the proof of my daughter's virginity. Then her parents shall display the cloth before the elders of the town, and the elders shall take the man and punish him. 
they shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the girl's father because this man had given an Israelite virgin a bad name. She shall continue to be his wife. He must not divorce her as long as he lives. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the girl's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. And verse 22, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. And there's quite a few more texts like that which we'll come to in a moment. So that verse 19, as it affects divorce, if he has made this accusation and it turns out not to be true, the provision in the law is that she shall continue to be his wife and he must not divorce her as long as he lives. Now, that seems to me to be making, well, it's an unsatisfactory situation in all sorts of ways, isn't it? And I think what the law is trying to do is to protect her uh, as much as possible. So one thing it does, it protects her from uh, chaps just randomly and in an unfounded way making an accusation like this because if the accusation is proved wrong he's really <laughs> they're really stuck with each other uh, and so no divorce is possible there and I think we can work back on that and say that there are situations where divorce is possible in the Old Testament but this isn't one of them uh, and we also notice the, um, the very fierce guarding of the boundaries of marriage. So if somebody uh, has had sexual relationships outside marriage or before marriage, that is a very fiercely um, um, guarded against, there are, there are fierce conditions against that situation, uh, which is... A, 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 pretty typical of the, of the way the Old Testament looks at that. Uh, and then if we look at 22-29, so there's various things about um, rape, uh, an attack on a girl, different in the, in the town, because she, if she'd screamed, somebody would have come to help. In the countryside, nobody might have heard, so she's presumed to have not consented um, and there was no one to rescue, verse 27. If a man happens to beat a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her and they are discovered, he shall pay the girl's father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the girl for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. So uh, again, it, it's uh, quite tough justice, isn't it? Uh, but he's forced to bear the responsibility to look after her and he can't shirk it and he can't sort of a couple of months later say right it's all over he, he's, he's made a, a decision which is going to uh, last both of them the rest of their lives so that's a, no divorce is possible there does anybody what is that making sense anybody want to 
raise any thoughts about those texts? Can you say something about the difference between the woman who uh, is not married and she's stoned, but the man who rapes the woman um, is not stoned? Right, which one, which one was the first one? Well, this the, the, the one who um, the, the charge is that she's not a virgin because um, in, in um, 22.20 the, the, the first one you mentioned um, Yeah Okay, so she, she's stoned I think there's an issue of evidential proof because in verse 22 they are found sleeping together so it's not a question of, a, of she saying, well, it was him. No, that's another man. Is it, um, yeah, sorry, which one? Sorry, could you, I'm, I'm not following the question. Right. In verse 20. Yep. If she's not a virgin. Yep, she's stoned. Someone else. Yep. She's stoned. Yep. But the man who rapes is not. I just wondered why the, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I know it's obviously different, but um, yes. I wondered why. Yeah, uh, okay, let's just look at, so verse 23, this is, uh, this is sex between a, an engaged girl and a man uh, who she's not engaged to, and we stone them both to death, verse 24. Yeah, and in verse 25, it's only the man who dies because the girl is presumed innocent because we assume that she cried out and no one came to help. I've still got lost as to which of these you're asking the question about. Sorry, sorry to be dense. Well, in verse 28. 28, the man yeah. rapes somebody. Yeah. But is not stoned, yeah. for, but forced to marry. Yeah. I wonder why the woman wasn't forced to marry. In, in, you know, if she was a, if she slept with somebody else in, in verse twenty. That, I mean, that was just that. Yeah. Okay, it's difficult to capture a discussion on the microphone and I don't think I know enough about it. I'm not familiar enough about it to make very much intelligent comment. I, I think there is, I think what the law is trying to do in, in a rather unsatisfactory situation, well, a very unsatisfactory situation, is make some sort of gradation as to whether it was consensual uh, and who was... Who, who, who was um, uh, particularly guilty. I think that's the sort of thing it's trying to do and beyond that I, c I don't think I can, I can say very much. Yeah. Yes. 
No, it's, it's, it, it is unsatisfactory in lots of ways, isn't it? But that there is an evidential thing in verse 22 if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife. So it isn't circumstantial. They're actually discovered together, which is a different, I think I remember reading, it's a different situation in terms of legality than if, it, if it's sort of discovered afterwards, which is why in, in John 8... It's rather strange that the woman was found sleeping with a man, but the, it's only the woman who's brought in front, and presumably a man must have been involved, otherwise it doesn't make sense, does it? So let's look at 24, Deuteronomy 24, 1 to 3. And this is one of the most contested uh, uh, and, and classic passages here. So... Uh, let's look. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. Ben, please. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house and, and she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be abominable, sorry, detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Thank you very much. So, this is the classic text about, um, about divorce. It begins, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. So the, the whole question of what that means uh, carries right on through to the New Testament and it's that that they come to Jesus to ask him which side of the debate he lands on. Uh, and we'll try and look at this in more detail in future, but there was a debate which said it really had to be something serious and another rabbi said, no, it could be anything really. You know, she burnt the toast uh, and that's enough. The important thing that rabbi would have said is that she gets the properly made out certificate. So you can see where that, that whole thing is going. So what it says is, uh, so there are some grounds which, we, which are debatable and he writes her a certificate of divorce so he's going to send her away, that's the shalach word, and the, the bill of divorce is a sefer, which is a book or a, or a, uh, a paper, or um, could be a scroll, uh, and the, the, the divorce has this kirithuth, kirithuth. That's the, it's a paper of kirithuth, a bill of divorcement or a certificate of divorce and that's just used three times for that particular piece of paper and that's the text and what the text is saying is that if she's divorced she marries another man verse 3 her second husband divorces her she can't go back to the first husband that's what the, that's the, the, what the text is, is driving at but there are a number of implications. 
Uh, so here it seems to me a clear implication that divorce, um, adultery wasn't catered for at all, but divorce is possible, it's permitted, and it's regulated. So it's, uh, it, it's possible, because he, he says this is what happens, she divorces and divorces and divorces, sent away. Uh, it's permitted and it's regulated. So there are some things that you can't do being divorced, in particular you can't go back to your previous husband. Uh, and it's regulated in that she has to have this certificate. So the sort of, I don't know, a public regularization. And I think a protection for the woman. So it's got to be done properly. And as an implication here that remarriage is possible. It's not commanded, but it's certainly possible. Uh, and it leaves the question, what was the displeasing thing or the indecent thing, which we will return to another time. So we've looked at these two scenarios, and I'm not actually going to take it an awful lot further. But what I would like to do is leap forward to Malachi. Let's get another classic text here. So we've seen divorce happens. We've seen divorce has regulations attached to it, and it's possible for a divorced woman in the Old Testament to remarry. In Malachi 2, 10 to 16, we have this. Malachi 2, 10 to 16. Please notice, so if Ben could read this in one moment, the repetition of the idea of breaking faith. So there's a word to, to deal treacherously, to break faith. And it seems to be the burden of this passage that the nation is doing this with God and doing this with one another, in particular it with, uh, between spouses or spice, as we sometimes say. Uh, so Malachi 2, 10 to 16. Please could you read that, Ben? Have we not all one father? Did not one God create us? Why did we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his, his garment, 
says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Thank you very much. So that's the powerful Old Testament text which we've got to put against the other Old Testament texts. Uh, the, the law permitted divorce, it regulated it, it said you could remarry after divorce. But here in Malachi, uh, we could translate hate, reject, because that's usually what it means. And divorce here is, oh, I've forgotten, I think it's shalach, to, to send away. I hate sending away. I reject that. And it's put in this context that what God is really looking for is faithfulness, faithfulness to God, faithfulness in human relationships, and when they break down, it sometimes pulls both down with it. So if, if the people in that, uh, the people in Israel were getting rid of their Jewish wives in order to marry a wife who was an idol worshipper it would sort of bring the two things together wouldn't it and God's saying you know I'm just I just not up for this at all uh, I, I've got no time for this uh, I, I reject the way you're carrying on I reject this this sending away that you're doing uh, and the, so I think we put that in the context of, of everything else that's said but that's the, the, the classic text in which God says I, I reject this. This is not uh, the way I want things to be. Now let's look at another couple of texts. <coughs> Jeremiah 3 1. And I simply want, I, I, I'm not going to get to the bottom of these texts, but I would like us to see something of where they're going. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? Thank you. So this is the Lord speaking to his people and he reflects on the provisions of the law of Moses that it's not possible to divorce and marry somebody else and then divorce them and come back to your original husband. Uh, you can't do that. And he says, well, this is what you're trying to do, isn't it? Uh, you're the people of God, and you turned away and you joined yourselves to some other foreign god, and now you're deciding to come back to me again. And he says, if, if a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another, should he return to her again? I mean, what sort of, would that even be possible? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers, and you're now intending to come back to me, declares the Lord. And I think what the text is, is inviting us to think is that, excuse me, <coughs> how could you, how difficult it is, if not impossible, to think of people who've wandered away from God and got themselves involved in all sorts of other spiritual liaison to then turn back and come back to God. Uh, it's not an easy thing. It's not automatic. In fact, it's put here as being pretty much impossible. But my submission is that what Jeremiah is saying is that God is the God of impossible grace that he will have back his people, even if they've been totally obnoxious, 
even if in human terms in the law it would be inconceivable that God, God says, well, actually, I, I will have you back. I will have you back. Which is, I, I think that's where that text is going. And it's rather a, a, a mind-blowing thought, isn't it? And here's another text, Isaiah 50, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Hold on, hold Sorry. on, hold on. We haven't got there yet. Oh, could you take us through to um, verse 2 as well? Thank you. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I send you? Because of your sins you were sold. Because of your transgressions your mother was sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to ransom you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. Thank you very much. It's another remarkable text, isn't it, about the Lord and his people so I'm not quite sure whether it's saying I didn't send you away because there's no certificate or it's saying I did send you away and find the certificate but it, it's raising the question you know, you were sent away the, the people of God just were so abominable that they were sent away and yet God's arm is not short that it cannot save and his uh, do I lack the strength to rescue you uh, when I came there was no one there uh, when I called there was no one to answer but I, you know, I can draw you in my arm is not too short to, to, to rescue you and I think these texts are indicating to us that the miracle of God's grace that he's able to go way beyond the human confines of marriage and divorce and what's sensible and even possible uh, and God goes beyond that with his grace and brings us back in, a, in this most most remarkable and generous way and that's where we'll, we'll stop this evening.